this is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two Shinigamis back to Karakuro Town after 10 whole years. Nick White. Uh, okay. <laughs> and Danny Martinez. <laughs> Bankai. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both for joining me this week. You know, we did that opening just for Danny, who went out and bought a samurai sword this week in celebration of the brand new Bleach movie that just came out. Uh, I guess, Danny, before we get into anything, before I ask my legally mandated questions, how are you like mentally, physically, spiritually after the release of this Bleach movie? Mike, it's uh, it's been a week. And look, I hate starting the show by correcting you on the weekend of your birthday. It's oh a my bleach God. Series. He says he hates it. Yeah, but, yeah. He's... <laughs> uh, but it's uh, before the Internet does it. I'll do it for them. Um, OK, it's, it's a bleach series. So we are adapting the last okay. arc of okay. bleach finally. So, yeah, thousand year blood work. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, that's part of it. There's a lot of good anime, not just that. But, you know, that's yeah. one of my top ones. Uh, also, there was a convention in Dallas. Oh, there is a convention. I'm actually going back after recording. Oh. Uh, Yo. So, which is where I Dedication. got my, yeah, that's where I got my uh, Sangetsu Bankai, a replica. So, you okay. know, it all connects. But for, for everyone at home who's maybe not super familiar with the Bleach anime, I mean, could you explain what this means, this Bankai thing that you said, this sword that you purchased? Why is it so important to the show? If I must address people that don't read Bleach, I guess. Yes, please. Uh, no, uh, yeah, Sangetsu is, uh, I feel like that's a spoiler too, but it's Ichigo's sword. Uh, so yeah, I, I mm. bought the main character sword, a uh, replica yeah, of it. Yeah. So, uh, But yeah, go read Bleach. It's great. Go watch the anime, skip the fillers, and then catch up to the new stuff. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree with that. I For all the good and bad that Bleach is, it's mostly good. I think it's pretty cool. It's And it's probably some of the most beautiful manga art you can buy <laughs> yeah. from like a shonen series, right? That isn't like some prestige Naoki Urasawa series or something like that. It's very, very good stuff, like consistently good from beginning to end. And and I love that my TikTok is like all bleach, all chainsaw, man. That's it. That's all <laughs> that's on my TikTok feed right now. You're living the best life right there, man. That's, right. that's awesome. Uh, well, let's let's get into things. I thank you for this little bit of a side, Nick. I, I appreciate you you putting up with us here. Um, let's let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books, because this is I read comic books. And in case you didn't know, maybe this is your first episode, 346 episodes. And you tried today's episode. We like to talk about comic books today. We're going to be talking about three number one comics. But before we get into any of that, I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask. And that is how have you been? How have comic books been? I guess we're kicking it right back to you, Danny. Sorry, Nick. You, you just don't get to say anything today. Uh, speak for <laughs> yourself. I knew everything he was talking about. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. I mean, Bleach in all forms is just just solid. Watch Bleach, read Bleach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. drink Bleach. Drink Bleach. Uh, Inject Bleach into your, your veins. Yes. 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 As, our, okay. as our president, previous president, uh, suggested. Um, right, <laughs> Danny. It's a slippery slope that I'm just gonna get out of. Uh, yeah, talking just get about us out comics. Of here. Yeah, so I, yes. I kind of told you guys how I'm doing. So uh, I'm gonna tell you mm-hmm. what I've been reading, uh, and I'm gonna start with something I had been waiting for for a little bit. And overall, I really enjoyed it. I have one gripe with it, and you'll hear what it is. Uh, I read Orphan and the Five Beasts from Dark Horse by James Stoko, who is the writer, artist, colors, letters. Everything about this book, James Stoko did it. I don't know if he glued it together uh, before mm-hmm, sending mm-hmm. it out, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, if you don't know James Stoko, if you're not familiar with his work, uh, he did Alien Dead Orbit, Godzilla Half Century War. He's done a lot of stuff, and he's a, a fantastic artist, fantastic storyteller. Uh, so in this book, it's a brand new Kung Fu epic. Um, 
that follows, uh, spurred on by her master's dying words, the adopted or a warrior orphan Mo seeks to find and kill five former disciples who now threaten the land with corruption from their demonic powers. Uh, part five deadly venoms are part surreal grindhouse. James Stuckle brings his knack for ultra detailed fantasy imagery and over the top violence to this classic tale of revenge. Uh, and if you're okay. not sold by that, uh, I'm sold. Okay. No, 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 you don't. You you said James Stokoe. I don't know how I missed this book. I'm in. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't know how I missed it either. I I was looking through my hoopla because I I hate not borrowing stuff um on time, and right, I was right. like, oh, this is here. I I I know I want to read this. It was. I know we talked about it at some point in the past, but yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, James Stokoe just his his vivid imagery just puts the book over the top. Uh, it's funny in some parts, and then you get like Quentin Tarantino blood splatters all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want—I wish I could show. I'm gonna probably tweet it out when we put this out. But there's a panel with like a million trees drawn. I'm talking like just all the trees you could imagine. Mm-hmm. So James Tuck was not holding anything back. Anything back. Uh, he's got a character named Thunder Ties, which I was like, what is <laughs> happening? So. So my only gripe is that it's not one and done. I thought it was like a whole thing that, you know, I was going to get to finish, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not. And there's no more out right now. So I can't continue the story. That That's my main gripe that I can't keep getting more sure. of it. And unfortunately, with James Stokoe, it's like you might not get another issue for like a year. You know, <laughs> you know? trees take time, I guess. He yeah. probably he probably grows the trees, makes the paper and then draws more trees. Right, right. So, but yeah, that, that's uh, that's my first book. Um, let me, let me, let's kick it off to Nick. Yeah. So for me, uh, things, things have been interesting in West Michigan as it now hits fall. Mm. Um, last week there was a day where it was sunny in the morning and then it rained for most of the day. And then in the late morning, there was a sheer downpour of hail, like small marble sized hail for about five minutes. And it honestly coated everything and it looked like snow for about 15 minutes before it disappeared. And then the rest of the day was bright and sunny. So it's been very bizarre. To top that week off, I also got to make a fun uh, return visit to the dentist, which is always good. Uh, which is which is great because my dentist has the TVs that are on the ceiling and they're mm-hmm. like, they're always so proud of these things. And like, that's their, like their, their small flex. Right. And they're like, sure. Oh, do you want, wh- what do you want us to put on for you while you're there? And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like who comes in is like, you know what? I'm on episode seven of house of dragons. So let me just log into my <laughs> HBO max here. And, uh, and uh, we can all watch it together. Like yeah. who does that? Like, first off, if you do respect, but, what a weird thing. Like, and I'm, I'm always so timid and I'm like, just, 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 just put on the aquarium thing with the elevator music. Just do the fish. Just give me the fish with the right. elevator music. And I'm yeah. never like bold enough to be like, uh, I'm on season six, episode eight of King of the Hill. So mm-hmm. please just drop me in. See, I would, you know, if I had to go to the dentist so often that they were like regularly asking me what to put on the TV, I think I would just start to watch all of the MCU mil- movies like in <laughs> chronological order. Start with Iron Man and just just be like, you guys have a Disney Plus login because I'll just watch yeah. e- everything up through Endgame. We'll, we'll call it good. Like, hopefully we can get all of these teeth capped and these molars replaced by the end of all of the, the MCU movies. Um, and if you haven't, then you'll speak to my lawyer, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're always like... uh 
yeah, whatever you want. We have all of the subscription services. I'm like, this is so weird. I'm here for 12 minutes. Just give me the fish, okay? Right. You're like, let me watch an episode of Aquatine Hunger Force, and then you can really <laughs> prove that you shouldn't have done this in the first place. Yeah, yeah. You will learn the error of your way. <laughs> Here's why the Dennis has that, Nick. Let me tell you my conspiracy theory. The Dennis okay. wants to have all those subscription services at home, but he yeah. doesn't want to pay for them without <laughs> a tax write-off. So he puts them through the business. Uh, smart. I, right. Great dentist. I'm just terrified to have a gigantic TV resting over my head the whole time. <laughs> That's just unnerving to me. But yeah. yeah, in terms of what I've been reading in celebration of um, uh, Native uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, as it's known in Canada, or Native American Day, or National Indigenous, National Indigenous Peoples Day, or the other name in America, which we will not refer to because uh, we're not going to talk about that. Sure. We talked about killing Christopher Columbus literally two weeks ago on the show. Yeah. Or was it last week? I can't even remember. I think it was last, two weeks like, ago. It's fine. So, it's fine. So anyway, that was on October 11th. And I figured in celebration of that, um, I read Two Moons, uh, one through five. This is from Image Comics. Uh, it's written by John Arcudi, who some might know um, as sort of a mainstay for Dark Horse. He's done a ton of uh, BPRD stuff for them and alien stuff, and this narrative uh, follows a young Pawnee man named Virgil Morris, uh, who's fighting for the Union during the Civil War. During this time, he begins to see, like, some really scary, otherworldly, like, just terrifying shit, and he's not sure if it's visions, he's not sure if it's, like, the stress of war, if he's just been out there for too long now, and it's just taking a toll on him. And he starts to see these things, these weird beings that have this vested interest in just the perpetuation of war. It doesn't really matter if it's the Confederates. It doesn't really matter if it's the Union. Like, there are these beings that feed on, you know, anger and hate and um, all of these emotions. And so they just want to stoke the flames. Uh, and he's sort of dragged into this battle between these sort of crazy otherworldly beings and and it's just a book that shouldn't work in some ways because it's like <laughs> it's a historical narrative it's a war story there are body horror elements there's eldritch terror elements there's just a lot going on and yet it all works and personally if i was a writer and like suddenly i'm like all right so you got to do your research on like lovecraftian stuff and mm -hmm. you got to learn about the civil war and you have to learn about um, you know, the history of these, um, you know, Native American tribes and, and their history and all of this. Uh, it just seems super ambitious. There's a really great letter at the back. I know everyone on this show is a huge fan of prose and comics, but Arcudi mm -hmm. uh, has a really great piece about how he developed this property and how he's been working on it for so long and all of the research. And um, beyond that, the artist whose name I have been dreading, but I think I'm going to nail this. Valerio Gian, Gian Giordano. Gian sure. Giordano. Just absolutely nails it. I've, I've never encountered their art before, but it's really solid. Normally, I'm not a huge fan of art that starts to shift towards realism, but I think this hits a sweet spot and their ability to really just draw, like, Arcudi just throws the kitchen sink from like eldritch beings to period piece, historical war drama. Um, it's just really impressive. And mm -hmm. 
Um, like I immediately finish issue one and I'm on to the next. It's so well paced. It's a fast read, super taut sort of thriller. Um, I think there's something in this book for everyone. And if you're someone who was looking at some of the promotional materials and some of the covers and you're like, oh God, this like seems like super gory body horror. Like don't be turned off by that because it's honestly not it's not the massive part of the book that the covers and the promotional material would make you think it is interesting. So if you're worried about that shit, and for me, sometimes I'm like, Oh God, are they going to get, you know, overboard with just jugulars being torn out left and right? It's not. Okay. There's still some of it, but it's not. Gotcha. Well, this, this sounds fun. Does it, uh, yeah, the, is that the word? The, just a little bit of body horror. Like, I don't, <laughs> know, I don't know if I'm sold still, but I, I sure, might check it out. Sure. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there's the people out there who are like, I just want 100% body horror. And to which sure. I say, Avatar Press exists and you're fine. Right. You can read a lot of vault comics. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me jump into one of the books that I read. So it was just recently my birthday. I am now 34 years fun. <laughs> and... I've been sitting on that all day waiting to say it. Sorry. Um, and so I, I didn't read a lot of comics because instead I went and saw the worst movie out in theaters right now, which is Amsterdam. Kelly, my lovely wife, took me to a movie that by all things on paper should have been a banger, right? We've got an all-star cast from Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, Robert De Niro, uh, Rami Malek, that woman who was in the movie Emma and the Queen's Gambit. Like it's it's an all-star cast, and that's only like a third of the cast. It's a great cast. Uh, it's directed and written by the guy who did like Joy in Silver Linings Playbook. And somehow this is the worst movie I've ever seen, I think, ever from like a AAA studio. Tony Century Fox and Regency should just be disappointed in the fact that they put money behind this because the movie on the whole looks great. The costuming, the makeup's fantastic. I think the core of the story about a doctor who wants to help um, World War One vets is a great idea, but the story has no heart, no plot, no anything like it, it feels like it has all of the tropes of a movie that should work really well. And yet the lines are written so poorly. Everything is bad. The editing is awful. Nothing actually coherently makes sense. And somehow it's at the end about Nazis. It's not about helping vets. It's about Nazis. And I don't understand how we got to that point because the movie makes jumps and leaps. And the only way that it makes itself make sense is because it keeps constantly self-referencing things that happened 15 minutes ago as if we haven't been sitting in the theater or watching the same movie. Um, don't go see this. I swear, if you spend money on this, you're banned from the podcast. And I'm saying that to everyone who's on this show. Danny, who threatened to go see this to me before we started recording. So I'm just saying, don't go see that movie. I love my wife and I don't blame her for this. But my God, it was the longest two hours and 15 minutes of my life. I'll, I'll just watch it on TikTok when somebody breaks it up into like 50 pieces. That's, oh my that God. is the probably the best way to consume it because at least the you won't even have to do a rehash like someone won't have to sum it up for you because the movie itself rehashes all of the plot points for you so often that you don't it anyways i don't want to complain about that i want to talk about comics that i read which wasn't a lot but i did read some banger comics fortunately a lot of mediocre ones but there were two that stood out i want to talk about x-men number 15 this is by uh jerry dugan with art by joshua kasara colors by guru efx and letters by clayton coles this this jerry dugan fella 
has been doing some incredible work on X-Men. I don't know if anybody out there is actually digging the X-Men book because I feel like no one is talking about it. But by far, I compared to all the other Hoxpox stuff that's going on, I feel like Jerry Dugan is actually doing a creative, interesting story um, that doesn't feel mediocre, doesn't feel ham-fisted. It's like super well-paced. I think by the end of his whole run on X-Men, we're going to be like, holy shit, what an actual like humongous storyline he was telling that was amazing. I, I feel like there's a lot of weaving. There's a lot of references back to things that happen with these um, children of what are they called? Children of the vault about like humans being evolved a million plus years. It kind of takes that idea from the ultimate Reed Richards storyline where he created this little place where like people like the world could evolve inside this bubble so that he could create like the perfect society, um, but instead kind of flips it and makes it mutant centric around like what happens to humans if they're left in isolation for millions of years? Do they naturally evolve the X gene or does something else happen? And we, we've seen a little bit of this before X-23, AKA Wolverine and Sync went into this vault for a really long time and they've come out of that super scarred or I should say sync came out of it super scarred because X-23's body was left there spoilers for a couple year old comic um, and I think Dugan coming back to this and finally starting a story arc where we're getting more information about what's happening in the vault is really really interesting this issue read perfectly I think the previous issue read perfectly and so I'm super hyped for issue 16 which comes out this week sorry um, is this the issue that begins with forge yeah oh, this is the issue yeah. that begins oh, with forge dude I yeah. agree. I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> like when I read Hickman's X-Men, I was like, good luck to the next guy. And then Gary Duggan just comes in like, mm -hmm. I got this, you know, hold my beer and like just took it over. Mm -hmm. And like it made it like, yeah, we can still touch on Krakoa, but let me make it feel like x-men like just a, like an x-men centric book yeah it it truly 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 feels like a like an x-men only book it's not trying to tie into like the bigger narrative and i do appreciate those stories that do but i love the isolated like look that this book had and i i also felt the same way about x-force or I still feel the same way about x-force but that's like a different conversation i know that's not everyone's cup of tea but the last thing i'll say about this book before i pass things back to danny is uh kasara and guru efx are doing tremendous work in this issue uh, i think there isn't an X-Men book that looks better, in my opinion. I don't think there's a Marvel book that looks better than this book does. Um, I really, really love the extremely high detailed but super muted definition of all the characters, the character designs, the like devastatingly powerful action. I mean, there's some panels in this specific issue that are brutal in terms of just the shit that they're trying to portray to let you understand what quote unquote could happen. It's it's really, really like amazing stuff. Super impressive to see it on a monthly book. It's kind of one of those things that I think we talk about when it comes to things like 2000 AD, where we're so impressed by how much can be done in just a handful of pages, you know, and obviously these creators have like a month to work on these books or, you know, four, four ish weeks Um, in 2000 AD. It's like a week, but like it's still really impressive given how much work we know goes into creating a single issue of a comic book. Um, this is the one of the more beautiful books that's out on the shelves. And I, I really am impressed with it month to month and i'm really excited to see where the rest of the series goes with with this creative team on on board so yeah who would have thought that an actual core x-men book could be so good <laughs> that's that's the thing i always wonder um but anyways uh danny i'm gonna pass things back to you what else have you been reading uh yeah before i tell you about that book i just want to say that i love how important and how like what they've done with the character of forge in the last few years like yeah. there were, he's been through some shit. So like the way that he like how important he feels now to the world of the X-Men, really cool stuff. Uh, but mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so also staying on brand, like Mike, uh, I read Batman Incorporated number one, which was my <laughs> top of the pile uh, last week when uh, when I was nice. on Discord. Uh, this is a book from DC Comics by Ed Brisson with art by John Timms, colors by Rex Locus and letters by Clint Cowell. So this book spun out of the there was a Batman annual uh, a few months ago, maybe like a month ago that uh, spun out of this because Bruce Wayne has no money, but Ghostmaker who is pretty much like Batman, but just like he doesn't, he, he's not from Gotham and he'll kill. But Bruce is like, they've, they they grew up together. It, there's It's a big backstory, which uh-huh. I think I talked a little bit about uh, when we talk about Joker War, but nonetheless, I'll, go listen to that and then you'll you'll learn a little bit about Ghostmaker. Uh, sure. So he takes over the team because he has money. He's also rich. Well, he is rich now that Bruce doesn't have any money. Mm-hmm. So he picks up the team, and let me let me give you a quick breakdown of the team. And if you want to know more about Batman Inc., please go listen to Paul's series on the Patreon, Better Batmobile, because that was one of the reasons I was very excited for this because I had just heard and reread all those issues. Yeah. So we have Ghostmaker. Uh, we also have from the Legacy of Batman Inc. Uh, Chief, Mano Bats, Raven Red, Batman of Japan, Batman of China, Knight, Dark Ranger, El Gaucho, one of my favorites. Uh, Night Runner, Wingman, and of course uh, the newly minted character by James Tina and Clown Hunter. <laughs> so stupid. And they've also <laughs> added Grey Wolf, who is also a new character that you meet in that Batman annual. Mm-hmm. One of the things, one of the things I love about this book is that John John Tim's art, like it's very stylized, so it may not be for everyone, but it's like exactly what I'm looking for in a team of like just a bunch of cool looking people like that are bat related. So I wanted to look mm-hmm. like super cool, uh, big, bright, dynamic movements in their fights, uh, really cool character designs. Uh, I love the book. The book is kind of like a mystery. That's not really a mystery. They, somebody's killing Batman and Ghostmakers uh, past teachers that, you know, are the people that taught them how to drive, how to steal, how to like do all the cool things that they do. Uh, and now Batman Inc. has to figure that out. While they're also trying to figure out uh, the mystery of like everything that Lex Luthor has been doing, because Lex tried to acquire Batman Inc., that's a whole other story. Go read, uh, go read Joshua Williamson's Batman for that. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's really fun, but I like that it's not really. We we pretty much get a reveal at the end of the first issue, uh, so it's not really about the mystery. It's really about how can this team even deal with something like that because they're. There's infighting between the team. El Gaucho feels like he should be the one leading the team because he's been around almost the longest. Right. Uh, but all the other Batman are, are like, you know, give this dude a chance. Uh, so it's really interesting stuff. And it's just like the the comic book nonsense that I love. I can't wait to hear what Paul thinks about this issue because I know he's a big, uh, you know, Batman, Batman Inc. Like it's mm-hmm. up his alley. But, but I highly recommend it for anyone that enjoyed Better Batmobile. Go check this out because it, Although it doesn't have the same themes uh, that ran throughout the Morrison's run, it continues with some of those characters, so you can at least see him on the page again, which is always really nice to revisit. Yeah. And before I pass it on to Nick, I did I read a chapter of a manga this morning. Okay. <laughs> that I picked up at the convention because it had the wildest title. It's called Rooster Fighter uh, by Shu uh, Sakuratani, uh, and all I can tell you is that it's about a rooster, like a, a normal rooster. Uh-huh. That fights demons. <laughs> These are like giant sized demons. So I've only Listen. read one chapter and it was insane. Um, so I'm gonna mm-hmm. finish through the volume. I don't I don't I still don't know how I feel about it, but I think the plot is insane enough that I wanted to at least bring it up as a manga that there's a lot of manga readers that listen to this and even in just within us. So mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it up as an option 
So you guys let me know. So Nick, uh, as no, I- no. Listen, before we even go to that, I already read this comic, and it's called <laughs> Chew, and it was the the, the chicken's name was Poyo. So all I'm saying is like Chew Sakuratani. What are you doing? Um, no, this sounds really fun. I've seen this ad or advertised to me in some way, or shape, or form, and I I kind of wanted to check it out. So I'm looking forward to the rest of your review, Danny, because yeah, I, I, I it looks fun and, and wild. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, Nick did now. No, Nick, what do you think of this now that you're a manga reader as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I'll probably have to to pick that up, even if Mike is right that it does sound an awful lot like Chew. I, I'm just uh, relieved to see that Mike looks okay. When Danny started listing off all of those various uh, members of the uh, the family that are in this book of his, I figured <laughs> Mike was getting like flashbacks to Amsterdam again, where they're just like. <laughs> They're just like listing everybody off. That's like a like a war flashback. Mike's like, it uh-huh. can't be good. It, it can't be good. good. There's too many good There's characters. Too many. In it. He's he's hit the 17 person threshold at this point. Uh, yeah. yeah. 20th century Batman Inc. is how you do a story with that cast. All right. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm glad you brought up manga. Uh, that's a nice segue because I want to discuss a uh, manga book that I read called Lost Lad London. And I read the first volume of this drawn and written by Shinya Shima. Shima doesn't have a lot of credits to their name, but uh, Shima did, co- uh, did co-author the first two volumes of Star Wars, uh, The High Republic, The Edge of Balance, which is the manga series that serves as a tie-in to the aforementioned uh, High Republic event. And um, as Danny pointed out, I am still, relatively speaking, a, a new-ish manga reader. I think I've been reading manga for maybe about two years at this point. I'm always on the lookout for manga that sort of have, you know, a, a diversity in their representation of protagonists and things like that, because with at least a lot of the manga that I've seen or heard about, it seems like a lot of the manga tends to A, take place largely in either the United States or Japan, and that a lot of the protagonists tend to be either um, Japanese or Caucasian uh, and or American. And so to have a book where it takes place in London and then have your two protagonists be a um, South Asian college student. We don't know from what country yet. We just know that um, this student named Al is from Southern Asia. And the other protagonist is a uh, black um, detective with the Metropolitan Police. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's good to see representation like that. Because again, maybe it's just the manga I've seen or heard about. It feels like this diversity of representation isn't always... um, uh, that present, I guess. So yeah. feel free to disagree if that's incorrect and it's what I've seen, but I, I think it's definitely, I don't, I, I mean, it's an issue, right? Cause it feels yeah. like all of the characters are typically drawn with a single skin tone. I feel like that has been slowly changing over time. You see a lot of different other books um, start to incorporate people with particularly darker skin tones, or they're drawn with like more European like features on their faces and stuff. Um, But yeah, I think that the diversity, there is a diversity issue in in manga. I think we are not necessarily the people to talk about it because we're not necessarily experts, but I do agree that if I look at all the books that I have on my shelves, like how many of them feature just Japanese characters, how many feature just like white pat like type characters i mean it's tough to say um to yeah. like but i think like 
things like, you know, Delicious in Dungeon or Witch Atelier are the first two that I come to mind where they do feature characters that have different shades of skin tone. I mean, at least showing that there is some diversity in the worlds that they're trying to create. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a thing. And I'm glad, glad that you pointed that out for this because it it's interesting to see a book like that feature folks that aren't just like necessarily from Japan, you know? Yeah. So the book follows this uh, college student I mentioned called uh, named Al Adley. And he's sort of this very self-reliant student. Um, you find out that he was adopted. And so I think that part of that has something to do with this sort of self-reliance and he's got to make it on his own. And he's very um, comfortable with just being quite solitary. And um, he's getting ready to go into postgraduate schooling. And he does this by <laughs> by writing his um, roommate's term papers, which is, uh, you know, is a thing. Nice. And one day he's riding, whatever you want to call it, the tube, the subway, whatever. The tube. It's it's with a hard C-H. Yeah. The tube. <laughs> he thinks nothing of it. And then he finds out later on the news that um, the mayor of London was actually murdered on the tube. Uh, he finds out that he was actually in the same, well, we would say train car in America. They would say carriage, I believe, in the UK. <laughs> And lo and behold, uh, this uh, inspector, Ellis, comes investigating and wants to interview him and talk about it. And Al's discovered that someone planted the murder weapon in his jacket pocket while he was on the train. And so he's like, oh, gosh, what do I do? And he shows the knife to the inspector. And the inspector is like, "Uh, if we go to the cops right now with this, like, this is going to look so bad and they're going to immediately look at you and say you definitely killed this guy Mm -hmm. so we're just going to have to solve this mystery ourselves hell yes so you have this secret team up and both of them are like don't really trust people anymore and they're like capable they're all like i want to do things by myself and so you have this two these two begrudging individuals creating this sort of bromance and learning to sort of get along with each other and also solve this bigger mystery and uh, it's a lot of fun. It feels different than a lot of the manga that at least I've read um, with this detective mystery thing. And the art is just really different. It's really, really different. And it's difficult for me to enunciate. But I would encourage people to look up Lost Lad London because it really does aesthetically, like the line work feels really loose. And the um, there's less of an emphasis on pencils or tight pencils than what I've seen with a lot of other like mm-hmm. the precision line work that I see in a lot of manga, it uses these sort of grayscale outline tones for the backgrounds and then uses a much heavier, heavier ink to pull things into the foreground like characters. Uh, it really doesn't look like anything else I've seen. And for those people out there looking to try something different, especially in terms of manga experiences, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't recommend this book enough. Uh, I finished the first volume, the second volume's out, third volume's on the way. I'll be starting volume two real soon. Can't recommend enough. Sick. Yeah, I'm just looking at this right now, just some of the preview art that's that's on the Google image search. Yeah. <laughs> um, looks kind of cool. I, I really do feel what you're saying. The, the, the art style almost looks like, I, I hate to say it, almost this way, like but almost brush like- strokes to me in some ways. Yeah, I mean, like, it's very loose, like, ink work, but also the the style feels almost like Pixar-esque. And I know that yes. that's not a great description, but, like, 
bigger eyes like in a way that doesn't feel like traditional anime eyes right like uh the, the forms and characters feel very lanky the way that i think a lot of like pixar characters can look um so that's that's really cool i maybe i'll give this a try nick i hate taking recommendations from you, but... <laughs> uh, me too <laughs> <laughs> well i'm gonna you know what? i'm also gonna talk about a manga because i guess yes. that's what this show is manga now crew um Today, I just really want to briefly touch on um, the last thing that I read today earlier before the show, uh, Akira Volume 3. I'm continuing down this Akira journey, um, reading Katsuhiro's Katsuhiro Otomo's Akira for folks out there who haven't heard of this. You know, this is where, in my opinion, I think this comic gets a bit away from the movie. And I really, really, really like it. So if you've seen the Akira movie, you've seen a great film. You have not seen the complete Akira story. Uh, and I really like the direction that this story takes. There's a lot more action in this volume. There's a lot more unfolding of the actual plot between what's happening with the army, what's happening with these weird children that have these telepathic powers. What's happening with Kay and and Canada? What are they doing other than just running around? Right? They actually get some some things that they're they're trying to do. But the thing that I really enjoyed about this volume is how much action there was, but not for the sake of action, but as proof that war only hurts the people in the country in which the war happens, right? So this volume focuses around, I think, a small thing that's touched on in the movie, which is the gov- the, the military is trying to basically take over this country by via a coup. And that becomes a, a central part of the storyline. And in order to do that, what does the military have to do? They have to press the proletariat, right? They have to push down on the people of the country. Um, and so Key and Canada, as they're kind of gallivanting trying to escape from the military who's out to hunt them because spoilers i'm just going to spoil a little bit of this i'm sorry but like akira wakes up and that happens in the movie so not a huge spoiler but instead of becoming this spirit entity at the end of the movie akira is actually a kid and there's this question of what's going to happen when akira quote-unquote finally wakes up that's the thing that they've been hinting at since the beginning of volume one and we actually get to see what happens in this volume but as Canada and Kay are trying to escape with their new friend, um, Chiyoko, uh, who was part of this rebellious organization. There are other people who are trying to rebel against the martial law that's been placed on the city. And there's just tons and tons and tons and tons of city destruction, not by like any kind of supernatural means, just by the military being present, trying to stop people, shooting guns, shooting tanks off in the city, using missiles, using machine guns. Just you see, there's so many scenes of every people trying to run away from various folks that are trying to kill them. And they're running into just everyday average people, but blasting through their homes with tanks, um, guns, fire, shooting through windows and people waking up saying, what's going on? What's happening? Whether it's parents or it's children or it's just like elderly people. Um, I really think that there's this super blunt notion that is in the middle of this comic that war devastates the people of the of the land. It does not have any effect on the actual players involved. It's it's such an interesting, interesting book. I really, really love where this story is going. I can't wait to read the next four or three volumes they're super beefy like this one was 286 pages i think and i I think four five and six are easily 350 pages plus so um akira rules if you didn't know that go read this borrow it from your library buy it online it's worth every single penny you're not going to be mad about this it's such an entertaining manga and um yeah totally love this i'm I'm so hyped for the next three volumes it's going to be amazing on on the upside of akira never being digital like they have some of the coolest collections like if you buy the whole set like it just looks so cool like it, this is something you want to put on your bookshelves 
Yeah. I, I think when I talked about volume two, I, I said pretty much the same thing. Like the I have the big six volumes that you see at your comic shop and stuff. There's also like a 35th anniversary like edition where they, instead of the comic being left to right, which is what the big volumes are, they're right to left in the original manga format, which is nice. And they're they're huge, beautiful black like leather bound books. Um, it looks really, really cool. But yeah, Akira's killer guys everyone should read this book it like is a defining manga it's a wonderful like interesting story um that defined like a cyberpunk slash sci-fi genre that i don't think existed when this book actually came out i mean it came out in 91 right around the time snow crash was a thing you know we're coming out of the 80s where cyberpunk was kind of growing and i think this manga volume sits or this manga series like sits right in the perfect middle of that time where we were establishing what like dystopian ish hyper capitalistic society looks like and akira totally totally nails that and mike knows that it totally totally nails that because we're now living it so of course yeah we're able to make that assessment. i open up my comic book and then i look outside and i go wow one to one you know um <laughs> anyways wow let's, where's my bike we, are, we really are living in the future <laughs> uh anyways let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile uh every week on ivory comic books again if this is your first episode we grab something that's new or old or something we're just excited to read out of our backlog and we're putting it on the top of our pile to read next so let's jump right into things i mean nick let's start with you actually you you've got a whole list and i'm gonna break your legs if you go yeah. through all of them yeah yeah, yeah. Um, what's your one top of your pile pick? yeah i mean i'm 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 in mike's ninth circle of hell at this point because i i made a long list but there are a few things that i just want to briefly point out uh, there's a lot of amazing stuff coming out this week it's going to be the last issue of Deadly Class, the book that started in 2014. I read some of it. Uh, it held Wes Craig hostage, which is a nice segue because we will be talking about Wes Craig's new venture later. The second issue of Bone Orchard is coming out, but the book I want to talk about is Predator number three. Yes, Alien 2 did come out, will be coming out this week. This is not a drill. The pick is Predator 3. Okay. Philip Kennedy Johnson, I'm sorry. I've, I've failed you. Look, as much as maybe I've just been spoiled by the fact that Alien has been so consistently good, Predator has just been such a pleasant surprise. This is uh, written by Ed Brisson, uh, drawn by Kev Walker. Uh, and, and I don't really know what's going to happen with this book in the future. Honestly, will the second arc even happen after the six-issue miniseries? I don't know. Is it going to go the route of the anthology like Alien? Are we going to get this story continuing? Beats me, but... Disney is Disney is Disney, which means if they believe there's another dollar to be wrung <laughs> from its corpse, uh, they will find a way. Uh, and mm -hmm. I mean that mm -hmm. in both the best and worst way possible. But look, if you're looking for an energetic galaxy hopping revenge narrative, this is it. I've had so much fun with this book. I think Predator benefits in the same way nearly as Alien, where it's like, as long as the Predator shows up, it's a Predator story. You've you've checked the one box. You've achieved the one goal. You're there. But for those who forgot me mentioning this or didn't hear me mention this in the past, basically, you have this uh, woman who, when she was a child, Predator killed her parents, and now she's just on a revenge narrative. It's pretty high concept. But I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> and tale is old as time, right? And... Yeah. Uh, there's something about Kev Walker's way that he draws these sci-fi like Arctic outposts and these crazy spaceships that almost feels like the sort of shit you would see like in a 2000 AD weekly strip where like someone's drawing this like old fangled spaceship and you're like, where did they even come up with this? 
mm-hmm. it just has that vibe. So I'm just having a lot of fun with this. We'll see where this goes at the end of the miniseries, but but that's my pick. Sick. I This book looks so cool. Kev Walker's art is incredible. I think I really want to read it, but I'm probably going to just wait for like a collected edition or something like that just because. But um, I'm glad that you're enjoying it, Nick. I think of all the people that I genuinely would want to know the opinion of about this book, you are the number one pick because I know how much you how much ex- expectation you have for Predator and Alien and all that stuff. So See, I'm glad I, you're enjoying I, it. I thought you were going to say the last person because it's going to be so <laughs> steeped with bias and nostalgia. No, but and that's, other... that's all the more reason, right? That's all the more reason. Like you are that core fan that I think they're trying to they, hopefully they're trying to impress and it looks sounds like they're doing their job so that's great to hear uh danny what about you what are you excited for what's what are you reading next well uh mike unlike nick i only pick one book uh although yeah. i could have picked more uh because there is a batman book this is the week but that, that's not what i picked mm-hmm. uh my pick for this week is just as the incarnate the hardcovers coming out on the 25th uh big shout out to gad at my comic shop because he told me, like, you need to read this book because they tell you what the Dark Crisis thing is that they're fighting in Dark Crisis. So obviously, uh, this is not a recommendation for anyone that has is new to comics. This is a recommendation for someone that's been reading comics for a long, long time. And the cool thing is, because I have DC Universe Infinite Ultra or whatever the new thing is called, I don't have Ultra. to wait. I don't right, have to wait. Right. I can read it all right now. Uh, but nice. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely going to pick up that um that hardcover because DC has been doing some really cool stuff. So this follows mm-hmm. uh, after the team suffers a devastating defeat at the hands of Darkseid. Uh, and he, sorry, here comes another a list of superheroes because I one of the reasons I love this book <laughs> right. is the big cast. I'm already put. I'm already saying I can't Justice read Justice League Incarnate by by David O. Russell. Yes, go yeah, on. David yeah. O. Russell's. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh yeah uh, we have Superman of Earth twenty three was President Superman. We have Flashpoint Batman. China's Flash from Earth Zero, Captain Carrot, who I love. Go listen to our mm-hmm. episode on, um, Chris on Rock, anthropomorphic Christian size. Bale, yeah, Anna Taylor Joy. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish Anna Taylor Joy was in this book. Uh, but yeah, they they need to help uh, find. They find a new superhero called Doctor Multiverse, uh, who will help them maybe fix the universe. Who knows? Cool. Because the Dark Crisis seems to have still happened. So I don't know. So even though I already kind of know what happened afterwards, I want to go back and read this because Joshua Williamson and Daniel Colbert, who are writing this, uh, mm. they're very steeped in the lore. Like Williamson feels like he he just loves comic books, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and they have a rotating cast of artists because every time they go to a different universe, the art changes. Uh, which is the way you oh. this is the way you use multiple artists in the book, not because you have deadlines to meet <laughs> shots fired. Uh, so, yeah, yeah uh, I'm very excited for this. That's cool. But uh, that's that sounds super sick. Yeah. man. I, I love that idea of using different artists for different universes <laughs> for a because... purpose. Whatever the purpose is, just make sure it's a purpose. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that the big two could do something like that. <laughs> yeah, they, they try. They've been plotting this one for a while. It feels like so they. I have had no complaints about filling artists on this whole Dark Crisis, Joshua Williams, yep. thing. But, uh, uh, Mike, what about you? What's on your top of the pile? Well, I'm I'm glad that you asked, Danny. But before I get into it, we have some folks hanging out with us on Discord. As always, we record our shows on Sundays, sometime between 1 and 3 p.m. Eastern. So if you want to show up and hang out, you too can get a shout out on our show. Uh, this week, Kate is reading, I got fired as a court wizard, so now I'm moving to the country to become a magic teacher, a manga volume. 
Um, love those light novels that become manga volumes because I don't even need to read the description. I already know what the book is. Sometimes Kate, you I'm don't so- even need to read the book. You just like they cover <laughs> yeah. the whole gamut. It's like exactly. Okay. Um, our good friend Hugh is reading X Men number sixteen. I'm also reading that, but that is not my pick this week. Uh, Stephanie is reading Dragon Hoops. Uh, Hannah is reading Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Kev is reading One Piece volume ten. He said he's getting back on the train. I'm so excited. I think when Kev gets to to chapter a thousand i'm gonna have we're gonna have him on the show we're gonna do a one piece extravaganza or something i I thought it was a boat (laughs) all right listen danny get out of here uh and paul g is reading ballad for sophie uh for me this week though i am reading sarah anderson's brand new original graphic novel slash strip comic cryptid club uh the synopsis of this is do you hate social gatherings dodge cameras enjoy staying up a little bit too late at night you might have more in common with your local cryptid than you may think enter the world of cryptid club a look inside adventures of elusive creatures ranging from mothman to the loch ness monster this humorous new series celebrates the unique qualities that make cryptid so desperately sought after by mankind to no avail after all it's what makes us different that makes us so beautiful i mean it's sarah anderson right you know you've seen sarah scribbles on the internet i'm certain of it whether you are someone who doesn't read comics or does i know you've seen a sarah scribbles comic that being said sarah recently did a book i think it was last year a book called fangs probably one of the funniest like self-contained strip comics that i've read in a really long time i think nimona is like the only other book i can compare it to in terms of telling a narrative story while also just being like standalone one to three page comics that book ruled fangs was like one of the funniest cutest things i've read in forever and i think sarah anderson knows how to write a damn good comic book so i'm so excited this is about cryptids it's right around the perfect time of the year of course the publishing industry knows what who they're catering to people like me who are dorks and love this kind of stuff so I'm really excited to see Sarah's take on some of my favorite cryptid monsters. You know, I can't wait to read this. And if you haven't had a chance, go read Fangs. And then I know you're going to love it. Go pick up Cryptid Club because I'm sure you're going to love that as well. Um, and then get all the other stuff that Sarah's done, her collection of Sarah's scribbles and stuff, because those are really fun. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to read this. And I cannot wait to uh, sit down after, literally after the show. That's what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down and read this. I'm so hyped. So I guess with all of that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about three new number ones that we wanted to recommend to each other. It was a whole thing. Danny came to me with a gun and he said, Mike, we're talking about new number ones. And I said, what? And then we that's what we're doing this week. So we'll be back in a second to explain how that all came together. This week on I Read Comic Books, Danny was going to force us to read the Django Legends comic, and instead we decided that we were going to read a different set of number ones um, so that we would actually be able to end the show with less of a sour taste in our mouths, I think, because as we were saying in the break, no one cares about legends anymore. So we're going to talk about some comic books that we all pick. Sorry, Danny, I don't mean to pick on you. You know, I just enjoy having you on the show. I didn't even bring that up to the conversation. That was Nick, but I know. Oh, well, you know what? Nick brought it up. I read it. Okay, I see. I see. And I had I totally forgot that it was even a thing until someone brought it up today. So anyways, we all picked a bunch of number ones for the others to read because you know sometimes we just need to say that we're reading something and we need to force it on other people to make sure that we're not going crazy when we think that they're great so uh danny nick and i all pick number ones we're going to go around the room here really quick talk about the books that we picked and then we're going to go around again one more time and talk about those books um like what we thought about them so i guess starting with you nick what was the book that you uh, you picked for us and uh, i guess briefly briefly why yeah yeah so i picked kaya number one or 
Kaya number one. I'm not quite sure what is the official pronunciation. Sure. Um, I'm sure I'll settle into one or the other unintentionally. This is from Image Comics. The writing and the art are by Wes Craig. The color is by Jason Wardy. The letters by And World Design. Um, and I pretty much knew I was going to be reading this book a long, long time ago, um, just because I've always been a huge, huge fan of Wes Craig uh, mm-hmm. and his storytelling and his artwork. Um, and as I mentioned in the first half, Wes Craig has been somewhat preoccupied for the past uh, eight years uh, because mm-hmm. Rick Remender has had him chained to a desk in his basement, a la Stephen <laughs> King's Misery, um, <laughs> drawing pages of Deadly Class. I mean, I, I I say I kid, I joke, but if you've read Rick Remender's stuff, there's some pretty dark shit that goes on there. So I'm not totally ruling out that maybe just a few months ago, uh, Wes Craig was finally freed from this prison. Like maybe if I go on CNN and Google it, like it was a big event. I'm not sure. But uh, I've always been a fan of Craig. His artwork is just amazing. And so when I found out that he was finally getting the chance to do uh, his own project with uh, Kaya number one, I was like immediately getting this book, 100% getting this book. Um, It's just, the artwork is fantastic. You've got this whole sweeping, I don't know if I'd say it's dark fantasy, I'd say it's like slightly post-apocalyptic fantasy. And you've got um, this uh, young woman named Kaya, and she's protecting uh, her younger brother as they travel across this world. And it's just a big sweeping fantasy, and I'm I I enjoyed it a whole lot. Um, I knew I would enjoy the art, but I didn't think I would like the story as much as I did. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's a if that's a plus for for Wes Craig's writing or or not. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that's fair. Um, cool. Well, Danny, what about you? What did you bring to the table today? Uh, so I brought uh, Briar number one from Boom Studios. Uh, this book was written by Christopher Kenwell, illustrations by Herman Garcia, colors by Mateos Lopez, and letters by Anwell Design. Uh, and I read this a couple weeks ago when it was released, but when we were chatting about the show, I realized that you guys hadn't read that. So hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, that was a good good indicator that maybe this is what I need to pick. Um, and this book, the premise is, what if Sleeping Beauty never got her happily ever after and instead had to save herself? So this is this turns the you know the fairy tale into more of a dark fantasy. Uh, I found that it was a really interesting twist. I'm a big fan of Kenwell. Like uh, it was the first time I've been picking up Doctor Doom and Bo- and Iron Man since he took over both of those books. Uh, oh yeah. So and you know he he's a really good writer in my opinion. Or at least one of he's one of the writers that I'll pick up pretty much any number one they put out, uh, and I've yet to be disappointed. So. Hopefully, uh, you guys felt similar. Uh, so we'll talk about that. But uh, Mike, what did you pick? I decided to dig into the forbidden lands of Dynamite Comics. I know that there's they're <laughs> they're kind of a sketchy publisher, uh, given some of their weird choices that they've made with some comics gate folks in terms of just publishing their comics or publishing their their covers. But um, regardless, they still own a property that I do enjoy reading comics of, and that is 007. So I picked up, I recommended that you guys read 007 number one. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, uh, who's also working Alien right now with art by Marco Finnegan, colors by Debra 
Kelly and letters by Jeff Eckleberry. The synopsis for this book is 007 is back in action after a high stakes rescue mission is mysteriously violently sabotaged. James Bond's future at MI6 hangs in the balance. Classic, right? Um, as he awaits his fate, Bond is urgently contacted by an old flame and mentor, Gwendolyn Gann, formerly Agent 003, who warns Bond of an existential threat to England and the global balance of power. Again, classic Bond. Before they can meet, 003 turns up dead, sending Bond on the most personal mission of his career, find Gwendolyn Gann's killers, and expose the shadowy organization only known as Myrmidon. I don't know how to say it. That's right. I'm a sucker for 007. I know Nick likes some 007 stories, and I just assumed two out of three ain't bad. So whether or not, Danny, you liked it, I wanted you guys to read it. Um, I personally really found this book to be super engaging and like touching on all the things that I enjoy the most about like James Bond stories. So figured let's try it out. So I guess getting right into things, starting with Nick's book, Kaya. Nick, you've kind of given your thoughts on it. I guess, Danny, do you want to start with what you think about what you thought about Kaya number one? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm I'm glad Nick picked this because it was on my to read pile as well. Uh, Like I said, I like reading number ones. Especially, you know, some of the bigger indie publishers. Uh, and I mean, Image is kind of at the top of that list. Uh, and yeah, the talent behind it and the cover looked really fun. Uh, I didn't really look into the synopsis, but uh, I really I really enjoyed the book. I will say I think I would rather read this as a collection, because, but I like I like the, the pilot enough, I guess, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. for me to continue. I like the art and the character designs. Uh, I love that the little brother Jin is so annoying, and uh, <laughs> but he also seems to be the narrator. So there's obviously a lot, like there's obviously a lot going on there, mm-hmm. uh, and then just the really cool tease uh, of the arm. Like I want to see an arm, uh, you know, arm wrestling between <laughs> Kaya and yeah. Hellboy. Uh, um, so yeah, yeah, really fun book. Uh, there's a lot of seeds planted for this, which I think uh, hopefully they'll pay off greatly. Uh, but but yeah, I'm, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I read it, uh, but I, I definitely will wait for the trade on this one. Uh, but what about you, Mike? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I like Wes Craig's art a lot. I think that uh, there are pieces of this story that I really like. I think that I will continue reading it. I might trade weight it. I'm not really sure. But like the story is interesting, right? I like the unknowns of this destroyed kingdom that they talk about. I guess we should probably say a little spoilers for all this stuff. We're probably going to have spoiled the first issue um, of all this of this. Uh, these comics, but um, you know, Car- Kaya's arm thing—it looks cool. I like the uh, the mystery behind it. There's something that's going on there. Um, but yeah, this this destroyed kingdom thing and siblings trying to stay together is a fun trope. Um, I like the mystery of it. I like the world that they built out with like it's not just humanoid people; it's like lizard people, and there's a little bit of romance there, and there's a little bit of kind of every little thing that, in my opinion, touches on you. You touch on for a good YA story like this truly feels like a YA book, which is ultimately, in my opinion, it's downfall. Um, I like YA books a lot, but I don't like them as serialized comics. I think this should have been a graphic novel. I think that Wes Craig has enough of a sell, like a selling point that he probably could have published as a, this as a graphic novel, and it probably would have done really well at Image. That being said, I like the first issue. I like the the all ages feel that it has. Like, I feel like I could give this to my nephew and he'd probably dig the hell out of it. Like every single bit of piece, like the characters are really likable. The designs are really cool. There's some incredible action that happens. Um, But overall, it just kind of feels okay. 
Um, and maybe that's just because we're only getting the first issue and I'm being super judgmental. Maybe I'm coming off of my frustration of Deadly Class still. <laughs> um, but also, I kind of feel like I like Wes Craig's art in Deadly Class. I don't know if I like it so much in this like fantasy world so much. So I don't know. Maybe I'll have to give it another shot. But I, I felt like just in the middle about this this issue. So, Nick, yeah. your rebuttal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you make a good point. I think this could be... I think it could be an OGN, but I think it's also too soon to really put that judgment out there until we see sure. how this gets sort of segmented and, and chopped up. Yeah. Because I do think the the cliffhangers and whatnot were, were placed well. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do really like that the book uses black lettering on on speech bubbles that are filled in with different colors. And so you can actually identify who the speaker is. So yeah. Kaya always seems to have, and it's color coded, I think to the colors, to the, um, the characters, yeah. um, the colors of their outfit. So Kaya uses red bubbles. Um, her friend, her lizard friend, I think uses blue. Mm-hmm. And then um, her brother uses gold. And of course, I think they refer to him as the the golden child. Yeah, he's a prince or something from their right. kingdom. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we get the idea that she's supposed to be escorting him somewhere because there's a prophecy that um he will save their people. Um, once mm-hmm. he like, uh, and I don't remember if this is like literally on the. It's like the 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 pitch on the front cover, and it doesn't get spoken about much, but that he's supposed to train with this monk. And then once he does, he will become this savior of their people. But um, I, I totally get what you're saying that at least right now, maybe this could have just been an OGN. But um, yeah. absolutely, totally love the artwork. And you're absolutely right. I do think, and who knows if this will continue to be this way, but I think in terms of setting a tone, probably, that it does see, feel like it is all ages. And I yeah. and I don't think they would flip the script on that later. No, so, And I don't want to say that that's a bad thing. I no, really genuinely not. don't. I think like this is the kind of, in, in my mind, this is the right kind of like serious, but also still not like ultra gory that you you want out of a YA book. Because I was just listening to a, a podcast earlier about someone talking, talking about how so many YA books are like aimed at like really young audiences. Mm. They're supposed to be young adult, right? They're supposed to cover things. They're supposed to have violence. They're supposed to have action. They're supposed to have stakes and risk and and bad things happen to the characters. Not everything can be hunky-dory, right? And I like that this book doesn't fall into the tropes of like, we need to be over the top with our violence and gore and swearing and all this stuff, but also still feels serious enough that like me as an adult, I feel like all of that being said, it feels like a PG-13 movie and yeah. I can still enjoy all of it. You know, I, I will say, you know, back to the art really quick. I do really like the lizard people in this issue. I'm like skin, skimming through it right now. They look cool. I would love... I would love to just see Wes Craig do like non-human people for like the whole story. I think that would be so much better than, I, I don't know, his his super round, weird humanoid people are, they're kind of like put me off of the <laughs> art style, but like his lizard people look super cool. So I don't know, maybe it's just me. I might just be particular. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, I, I but I, again, the YA thing, I don't think that's bad. I really think that it, is pushing the medium in terms of saying like younger readers can take 
harsher stories. And I think that this has a lot of weight in it that you do see in YA books. I kind of want things to go wrong for these kids in order to like, <laughs> no, no, hear me out. Here, no, let me finish I get what I said. It. I, I kind of want things to go wrong for these kids in a way that like, this is a story about overcoming severe adversity, yeah. you know? Um, and I, cause I think that's possible. And I think image has the, the, the guts to do it. Boom never will, yeah. you know, like, let's be Cowards. honest about who's making yeah. YA books. Right. Um, so, you know, let's, let's, Let's see where it goes. I, I'm again. I think I'm a trade waiter, but who knows? I'll probably buy number two just to see where the cliffhanger picks up. Yeah, there's some really cool covers for this, so I definitely like. If if I see a cool variant for this, like I'll definitely pick it up. <laughs> we got him. We got him, folks. Uh, it, not not that I don't like uh, Wes Craig's art, but I think the variants, like you said, are aimed at a maybe younger audience. But there's some cool ones sure. that are not that much the, at a younger audience, different style. So, uh, yeah, and I love the sibling uh, relationship, like. You yeah, know, the big it it gave me almost. I know they're not siblings, but Avatar: The Last Airbender vibes, where like Aang feels, mm. you know, he's the because av- <laughs> spoilers, I guess, for Avatar, he's the Avatar, and he <laughs> feels a little entitled. But then he meets these people that uh, are trying to help him out, and they're trying to do everything for you know, they're trying to do everything to help him, but he still doesn't understand that, and he still feels very entitled. And I think mm-hmm. uh, Jin is kind of the same way, where he'll have to learn. He's gonna have to learn all these lessons, tough lessons. He already learned one. By with the food, right? The the guy had the food. He had nothing but yeah. his precious things or his sister's things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had to make a tough decision, which I thought he was gonna make the right decision, but I feel like he didn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Here's, anyway. here's all of the records of my family's history for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> and then the lizards are like, "Perfect, we needed more kindling yeah. fire," and they throw right. it in. And I love, and I don't know if you guys caught this, just the lettering on when he's like begging for the piece of meat and he just says, please. And it's in like point two font and it's like quivering and it's so sad. And it's like, that's like, that's good lettering. That's like, that's perfect execution for that scene. Yeah, I agree. So good. And as Danny said, like the one detail I'm looking at that I find really interesting is that you have the story being told after the fact by the younger brother. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's interesting. Almost always when I see something like that, I'm like, Oh no, people are going to die. Like, yeah. why are you telling sure. the story years sure. later? It's like tragedy will, will happen. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just a, if anything else, just a, and any opportunity to have more West Craig art is just, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, Danny, let's let's talk about your book. Let's talk about Briar number one. Um, we kind of got your thoughts, I think, a little bit on this. But um, so, Nick, take it away. What do you think of Briar number one? Well, for me, like I'm always a fan of Christopher Cantwell. Um, admittedly, his Obi-Wan wasn't quite my thing. And I don't want to get into a massive argument with Danny on that because I know he felt a little differently. But uh, some of Cantwell's other stuff I've really enjoyed, I thought. And we don't want to start this who's on first routine, so we won't. But I really enjoyed, and this is the title of the book, quote, everything, unquote. We are not having the Abbott and Costello, what's everything? Oh, I liked everything routine because we did that. about. No one was going to do. I don't think we're going to do that this time. Well, I just (laughs) wanted to be careful. (laughs) Honestly, I love this book's pivot from Mm -hmm. aesthetically and narratively looking like um, the narrative of Sleeping Beauty, especially aesthetically for the first 14 to 15 pages Mm -hmm. you also have this what i also really enjoy is in that opening narrative they're like oh yeah the narrator who normally tells this story is 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 dead right Mm -hmm. and um 
you know, the narrator was captured and boiled in a cauldron for hours, and yet everything <laughs> looks so bright and smiling and happy on the page. And so you have this just discord, right? You have this disconnect between what you're reading in the prose and what you're seeing in the visuals. And it just reminded me a lot of Cantwell's Everything, where everybody is like smiling and happy all the time. And like, and mm -hmm. yet the narrative is like, oh yeah, my family life is fucked up and my wife hates me or whatever. And just sort of this disconnect between the art and the prose. And so seeing Cantwell do that again, I think was sort of um, interesting to see that kind of trick. But the other thing I thought was really great is there's a page where at the top of the page, it shows the prince, right? The prince who, as Danny mentioned earlier, ops, oh, what if I don't, you know, awaken Sleeping Beauty with a kiss? It mm -hmm. shows him like choosing to go to war, right? And it's the page of him going to war and it transitions through a series of panels showing the kingdom going into decay, basically. Yeah. And yeah. everything falling to, you know, basically to ashes and, and dust. And what's so cool is panel by panel, you the art transitions from this bright, uh, almost pastel color palette yeah. to this darker inking in these darker shades and these mm -hmm. heavier tones and colors, panel by panel by panel, as the kingdom falls into this you know state of of discord, if you will. And then in that final panel, it's the tomb, and it's got all these you know, vines and, and ivy over it. And it almost looks like you go from like perfect storybook, whatever at the top to like Mike Mignola, Gothic, whatever by the mm -hmm. bottom of the page. And it's that page for me is just so well done. And I think it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a really interesting story. It, it feels like, haha, now Cinderella can say the F word, <laughs> but also, <laughs> but it also, we're going to do it. <laughs> But also, I, I do enjoy the, the the play on you know this this classic story. Um, I thought the twist of the prince saying like, "Why bother even waking the princess up? I could just be king, dude!" Like, yeah, what a what a fucking like perfect like middle finger to the, all of like the, these fairy tales. I love that. I thought that was such a fun like not Shrek but also Shrek kind of way of telling this like fairy tale story. And then of course the book becomes super brutal. Um I really, really, really enjoyed the decayed look of the castle. I mean that person comes and frees her, wakes her up somehow. We don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I love that that sequence of the story. I thought that was really cool. Um for me though the story kind of took like a a bit of an extreme turn. All of a sudden she's fighting this rat monster. She knows how to use a sword and it's kind of brutal. Like I'm not going to argue about like what is the what is the learning curve for using a long sword or anything like that, but it did seem like kind of a lot to move the story along. Again, I'm this is me nitpicking, um, but I did find it like kind of interesting. Like it's it's it feels like a D and D story, like a true fantasy story. Like this strange woman comes out of the forest to this place where these people try to immediately turn her into a slave. Someone says no, they get captured regardless. It becomes like a whole thing. I like the where where this issue went. I like the cliffhanger. There's this weird thing that happens in her sleep because she's scared of sleeping. Like we've already got like a lot of trauma and a lot of other things that build up a character who is flawed to tell an interesting story as she needs to overcome this these series of adverse things 
So I liked it, though I don't know if I would pick this up month to month. I think that's kind of like my final thought. I think that this is, would work great as like a hoopla borrow or it would work as like a, a you know, a, a trade that I would grab in a sale um, or something. But I don't know if this would be I would gravitate toward this immediately. There, there is enough in this issue, though, that kind of sparks a lot of curiosity. And I do want some of these questions answered, right? Like, why was the 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 person that they found in this hut in the middle of the desert? Why did he cut his own throat? It seemed like he was going to be violent towards these two people that got captured. But instead, he kills himself because he's so scared of what's going to happen. You know, um, all of that kind of stuff. Really interesting. Makes for a really interesting number one. Um, in, in I think in a worse written book, this would have felt like too much story. But Christopher Cantwell clearly knows how to tell a story with a lot of words without it feeling overbearing. I guess like the final thing I'll say, like I've kind of already talked about the art, but I do appreciate the really bold color choices and minimal line work that's done. There's a lot of shading, but not a lot of line work in this. Um, and I think the book benefits from that. It looks has a very distinct feel and look for it that you don't, I think, see in a lot of other fantasy books because they usually try to like hype it up. Like I'm thinking of a barbaric, right? Barbaric yeah. is extremely detailed, um, beautiful book, but it's a different type of fantasy story. And again, that's a book that's like, let's take the gore and amp it up to 11. Um, this one, this book feels violent, but it doesn't feel overly violent. Again, not like Kaya. This is a little bit more of a rated R movie than a PG-13 yeah. movie. Um, but I do really, I did like it. I, I will say that. I would probably continue reading this. I just don't know if I'd read it month to month. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I uh, Sleeping Beauty is, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I'm sure there's sure. stuff that didn't age well. But I love that <laughs> stuff with the uh, with the dragon when Maleficent turns into the dragon, and, like that imagery, yeah. and and the way this book took a turn, it kind of led into that, right? Just through a different path, through going through all these years of the kingdom and decay, like like uh, Nick was mentioning earlier. So I mm -hmm. really like that. I like that, uh, like. Michael, you like you said, like the line work is minimal, but like where the inks need to be heavy, they are, and yeah, I really appreciate yeah. that. Like it definitely gave me a lot of like gothic Mignola vibes. I'm like, oh, I need to find yeah. more of Herman Garcia's work, like just to see what other things. Oh yeah. Um. So I I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I think I'll also trade weight it just because I I like the story enough. But like some of these other books we've been talking about. It's not episodic, and I mean, that's a whole other thing that we could talk about, how these uh, serialized comics really should just be, they're really just working for the trade. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on board enough that Boom, Boom's been putting out some really interesting stuff as of late. Uh, this mm -hmm. was another one of those books, so. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about the last book. I picked 007, number one, or as we were joking in the pre-show, not not seven or zero zero seven or oh oh seven. What do you do if you're like Agent Ten? Do you be like I'm Agent O Ten? I'm Agent O one O. O one O. Oh, oh no. But let's let's talk cool. about this. I kind of gave my thoughts about this. I I love Bond stories it seems. Um but I guess Danny, what were your thoughts on this book? Um so I I'm not very familiar with James Bond. I've only seen the Daniel Craig stuff. So but I know enough okay. about the character just from that to know what a James Bond book should feel like. I read I think one volume of Greg Pak's uh 007 which mm -hmm. I enjoyed enough. Uh this one was a little bit different though. The the one thing I'll start with, I guess with the the negative the art sometimes felt a little flat to me, and I don't mean flat as in not very vibrant. I just mean flat as in, like, the characters kind of look like they were actually compressed, like, flat. There was not a lot of detail sometimes. Sometimes sure. the faces threw me off a little bit, like, 
like you're supposed to be this handsome dude uh but it's just like a little line for your mouth like and i'm sure all that stuff maybe it's uh just a design choice by the artist uh it just didn't fully vibe with me but but i like the writing i like the there's some humor there when he throws a plushie to distract the assailant and like like all that james bond stuff that i like uh it definitely came through in the story uh i appreciate the change in coloring for the flashbacks because it that's how you like all those little details, like, you know, using the lettering correctly or using the narration to tell me something different from what's happening on the page. Like all those little details mm-hmm. I appreciate. Uh, so whenever the le- the coloring changes for a purpose, like it did on, on both prior and on this book uh, for mm-hmm. the flashbacks, uh, I really appreciate that. So uh, I enjoyed this enough uh, where I don't know that I'll keep reading just because 007 is not my I haven't even seen the last movie. So. Sure. Uh, maybe I should watch that first and then read this. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, these comics are totally yeah. independent of the movies, yeah. um, which is something that I've always appreciated. Like, I think when Warren Ellis was doing it, uh, Greg Pak, Andy Diggle, like a bunch of people have written 007 recently for under different names, James Bond, 007, James Bond, Bond, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that they, they're taking these tropes that make a Bond story good and then like applying them in a way that only comics can kind of do, right? Like the benefit of comics is that you don't need to have a big, huge budget to do yeah. huge explosions and stuff. You just need an artist that's willing to draw that for you, right? right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I'm glad that, I mean, you at least enjoyed yeah, this. Yeah. And issue, then so. the last thing, I mean, like you mentioned, this is a dynamite book. I don't really buy dynamite books, although I just yeah. read a Red Sonja book last week because uh because of the creator behind it so uh yeah maybe i'll check this out once it's on hoopla collected together but uh yeah nick what about what about you yeah i mean mike's right i i do occasionally read books of this series i do think some of them are interesting and i i think it's a tough road to tread as a writer because like so many of these like so many of these books all have to hit the reset button on what the last writer or team has done. <laughs> like yeah. you don't, you just don't assume that there's any carryover. And so whoever, whatever writer is dragged into this, it's like, okay, hit the reset button. And now you need to like set up this complicated geopolitical problem for the world and do all of this. And a lot of times you see the first issue just get plastered with prose as they're like let me prove to you that i have a good handle on modern events and i am a very good writer (laughs) and i will set up this very intricate plot for you and it's like you're just like reading a fucking dictionary and it's like oh i can't do this like (laughs) because ultimately like bond is not about gadgets or guns or villains endangering the uh the value of the human dollar uh we can do that quite well on our own thank you it's about a sad man and honest it's about a sad man in a suit staring off uh uh into the sunset from a bridge um just and and looking depressed and as Mm -hmm. long as you give me that like we're good and this book does it multiple times there are multiple sad bridge shots which is what i need to to have a good bond book and and danny's right there there is some weird derp face here from time to time sure but i i don't mind the fact that it's a little bit of a different aesthetic it does feel like a lot of the bond books sort of have this house style about Mm -hmm. well the pencils should kind of look like this and bond even though we're not following like a movie likeness we sort of have a weird house style of how bond should look and so Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like for example, Mark Lamming's Bond, um, which was uh, he was the artist with Craig Pox run. But I, I, I think there are some creative choices here. I like that it hits the ground running. 
Philip Kennedy Johnson doesn't feel too obsessed with having like an intricate geopolitical scenario. He's like, uh-oh, Bond got in trouble again. Let's cut to the meeting where his boss tells him off and says, you're a loose cannon, Bond, and you need to go. We're going to give you two weeks off to get your shit together. Turn in your badge. Of, yeah, 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 turn in your badge and your gun. Come on. Come on, it's so good. No, but I'm, I'm saying, like, that's that's what you want because, like, it hits the ground running. And I, I think the flashbacks are really well done. I think, I don't know who on the team decided to use Ben Day dots. Those are the, you know, you see those in older comics, that sort of dot arrangement. I think you even see it in, like, Bazooka Joe Bubblegum uses Ben Day dots for their, sure. for their comic strips. But using Ben Day dots for the flashbacks was such a clever choice. Such a like it's nuanced and I had to like do a double take and be like, am I seeing that? But yeah, Bende Dots for the flashbacks is cool. Like I said, it's just a streamlined, taut thriller. I finished issue one. I immediately started issue two. Like that's like the bare minimum for me. If you can make me do that, we're in a good place. If I'm like, all right, well, better go pick up something else. (laughs) You know, that's sort of the, the, the clue that maybe things aren't going as well. But uh, yeah, I I've I've enjoyed it so far. I I felt like I knew it wasn't going to be a hard sell for you, Nick. I yeah. mean, <laughs> to, I knew you were a extent. pushover. I'm not that concerned <laughs> no, no, about no. you. Let's cut I, back to Danny. We knew you were I a think, lock. Yeah, I think Nick and I, you know, you and I have similar tastes sometimes. Yeah. and like the Venn diagram is is <laughs> it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty small sliver sometimes of things that we absolutely like guaranteed are going to like. Right, like an Ed Brubaker book's going to fit right in there. Yep. James Bond, I think, is going to always fit in there. Um, there's something about I think white men as they get older they just like spy thrillers i don't understand what it is but um <laughs> i bet you five bucks we could put paul on this episode and he could also love this 007 issue um but anyways no i i i'm, I'm glad to hear that i mean danny i i think you i'd be interested to hear your thoughts after this arc is done because i feel like the james bond comics always are written in arcs that feel like movies again like it's clear like Ian Fleming was, you know, when the movies were ad- adapted way, way back in the day, like, you know, they had a specific feel. And I think these comics try to carry forward that feel with a modern take. So um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts if you could read the whole arc. That, that's the you know? follow up show. We read volume one of all these three first issues <gasps> and then we come back to see like a postmortem like what happened. That's what we're. I'm putting it on the calendar. That's going to happen. That's happening later, probably early Check next back year. in like six to eight months, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I guess to wrap things up for today's episode, I guess, did you guys have any any last thoughts about things? Was this a fun experiment? Would you want to do it again? I mean, Danny, it sounds like you're up for this volume one thing, but like, I think we've got a verdict on each of these books, but any last thoughts? I guess we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, this, this was fun. Originally, we were joking about like, maybe we'll do like a dunk contest where we all bring a number one and we'll just try to dunk on it against each other. <laughs> Uh, but I'm yeah. glad it didn't turn out that way because I rather yeah. read comics that I enjoy. Uh, and even if they all didn't hit all the way, I think this was a fun discussion. So, yeah, I, I would definitely love to revisit these in the future. Yeah. I mean, when we do the eventual I Hate Comic Books podcast series on Patreon, once we hit that goal, um, that's what we'll do. It'll be a dunk contest. We'll definitely be one of the topics. Uh, <laughs> Nick, what about you? What were your last thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think Danny hit the nail on the head, which was that, yeah, I think for a while there it was like, yeah, we'll all come into this. It'll be a dunk contest. And I'm just laughing like, haha, we won't do that. And I'm just secretly writing my notes. I was like, this turns into a fucking dunk contest. I'm going to be goddamn prepared. Here's my <laughs> shit list on these other two books. <laughs> this oh, is my so nuclear not- option. Although these days right. we probably shouldn't be throwing that phrase around. Um, 
But no, I, I, I really enjoyed the books. I think this was a good idea. I think it also helps people out there who are wondering, you know, what are some new interesting books that are out there what's the take mm-hmm. help me you know save some cash and, and figure out what's what's worthwhile and so i think uh I, I think we're doing a valued public service here and we should all pat ourselves on the back <laughs> um yeah we, sure. we probably saved someone uh three to eight bucks if they didn't like the other two so exactly yeah. exactly um Cool. Well, yeah, this is this to me is always fun. I mean, I wasn't going to read Briar number one. Kaya was on my list, but clearly I wasn't I wasn't putting it forward. I'm, I'm so hesitant on Wes Craig. I don't understand it. It's, it's the it's the deadly class effect. Um, that's what I'm going to call it. But uh, yeah, this is this is all really good stuff. Again, I'm probably going to trade weight a little bit on these, but uh, we'll see. I'll probably end up picking up number two. This is this is what always happens whenever people get passionate about a book. I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to read that forever, even though I may not even like it. So um, that's both of your faults that yeah. I'm getting poorer. Uh, so <laughs> to wrap things up, I guess I want to thank you both for being on the episode today. Uh, next week, we're going to be it's going to be me, Brian and Renee. We're going to be tack- t- talking with some folks from Dismay Comics. They have a Kickstarter that's coming up. It's going to be a horror anthology. It looks really, really cool from the preview that I've seen. So look forward to that. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads, wherever you can find us on the internet. All the links are in our show notes, so go check that out. You can support us on Patreon. You get access to a better Batmobile that Danny was talking about, Saga of Saga. We're recording that very soon, so if you're into Saga and you want to hear what we thought about Volume 10, make sure you subscribe to check that out. Uh, I want to say thank you to Infinity Shreds. We're the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is a pixie floating in the cool breeze of autumn winds. I want to say thank you to Danny and Nick and Kate for proof for listening today. And until next time, I guess thank you to all the people on Discord. You're wonderful. You're making fun of me the entire time, even though it was just my birthday, but I guess I'll allow it. Um, thank you to everyone who continued to listen to the end of the credits. You are the best listeners in the world. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Comics are good.